Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 24 of Try Talking Sport, hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Thank you for tuning in from wherever you are. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer or endurance enthusiast, you have come to the right place to be inspired, encouraged, motivated and entertained by the sporting endeavours of our guests. As promised in the last episode of the show, I am endeavouring to bring you some additional shows during the COVID-19 crisis to provide you with some light entertainment, motivation and positive vibes whilst we ride out this storm together at home. So this show is a week earlier than planned and it's a cracker. In keeping myself busy, I also hosted my first Facebook Live series on the Try Talking Sport page last night with Owen Martin. You can listen back to this on the Facebook page. If, like me, you needed a good kick in the arse to stay motivated amidst the situation facing us all, then he gave us a good dose of positivity and motivation, telling us to stay out of the cookie jar, get done what you can get done in terms of training, so when things start to settle and the racing season commences, you will be ready and raring to go. Owen, who is now qualified for the 11th time to race at the Ironman World Championships, is keeping on top of his training and his routine so he is ready to race when the time comes. You can also check out Owen's episode of the podcast from the summer last year for some insight into his passion for training and racing. Tune in to the Try Talking Sport Facebook page every Tuesday and Thursday evening at 8.30pm Irish time for more live chats and crack. Since last week, the Tokyo Olympics have been reinstated starting on the 23rd of July with the Paralympics starting on August 24th. Great news for all the athletes who are preparing to deliver the performance of a lifetime on the world stage. In other positive news and not quite the Olympics, I went for a slow, steady 5k run yesterday. First time in eight weeks getting out for a run and first time in six weeks doing any sort of swim, bike or run training due to a bad case of bronchitis that finally seems to have lifted. Although I have been walking and doing limited strength work, there's nothing like getting those runners on, getting out in the fresh air, feeling the blood pump through your veins as you run along the road and just simply feel alive again. Now I did stick within the 2k radius of my home and I did run around the green like a loon in my estate a few times to make up the distance to 5k. Next up is getting the turbo ready to rock so I can get some miles back in the legs. Our selfie isolation challenge is growing in numbers and activity. You can check it out on the Try Talking Sport website. Simply commit to completing 30 minutes of physical activity every day. There are no trackers, no targets, just you and a timer. It's a bit of fun, but more importantly, you will be supported and encouraged by others with our mini challenges posted in our private Facebook group. Now to today's episode. I was delighted to get Rosie Foley on the show. Having followed her rugby career and her success as an endurance swimmer, she is a great advocate for women in sport and a role model for many in her local community and far beyond. Born in Limerick, she moved to Killaloo and Clare when she was seven with her younger brother Anthony, Axel Foley, and sister Orla. She is a PE teacher in St Anne's in Killaloo. Married to Pat for the last 25 years, they have three children, Oshin, Brendy and Schaefer. Rosie's sporting CV is exceptional. With 39 international rugby caps for Ireland, she played in two Rugby World Cups, was captain of Munster and University of Limerick ladies rugby teams, winning interprovincial titles and All-Ireland titles with both teams. She has also represented Ireland at Tag Rugby. The rugby star turned swimmer in recent years was the first person to swim in swimming togs, the 38 kilometres of Loch Derg solo in 2014, before going on to swim the 21 miles across the English Channel solo from England to France, 
also completing that endurance task in togs. Most recently, Rosie swam the Straits of Gibraltar in swimming togs in September of last year. She was inducted into the UL Sports Hall of Fame in 2018 and was awarded the ILDSA Pora Casey Munster Swimmer of the Year 2019 sponsored by John Edwards at Wild Water Adventures in Tralee. This episode of the show is filled with positivity and inspiration whilst also tinged with a little bit of sadness. It is jam-packed with inspiration and practical positivity and a few hearty laughs along the way. We hear how Rosie's career as a sports star took off as she blazed a trail in sports both on and off the rugby pitch with her brother Anthony and sister Orla close by her side, supported by her mum Sheila and dad Brendan. We find out how she hid the plan to swim the channel from her parents. Yes, she really did. And we hear how the sudden passing of her brother Anthony impacted her life. We also hear how important it is to be resilient to live your life to the full and to simply do your best today. Enjoy the show. Rosie Foley, thank you so much for joining us on the show. An incredible athlete based out of uh, Killaloo in County Clare. Or is it the Tipperary side? Oh, Jesus, no, Killaloo in Clare. Would you stop? (laughs) (laughs) Come here. (laughs) Just double checking, just double checking. Uh, So this is going to be such a fun interview uh, with Rosie because uh, she joins me in the midst of COVID-19 with no access to swimming. An incredible uh, sporting career uh, representing club, county, province and country in rugby. And uh, she has done some mammoth swimming. Rosie, thank you so much for joining me in the attic of your house today. (laughs) <laughs> yes it is three kids downstairs Oshin is 14 Brendan is 12 and Shifra is 10 and they're very busy as you can imagine you know so it's nice to get a little break up here with you Joanne <laughs> so tell me what does COVID-19 look like in the the Foley household at the moment you're an <laughs> avid swimmer you're a mm. teacher your kids are all in school what's going on mm. so what we try to do is um they have their schoolwork in the morning and it's it's very well set out in fairness to to all the teachers around around the country and indeed my own kids uh, teachers they're, they're they've been amazing so in the morning uh, all the devices are confiscated by me <laughs> i have them the night before um so we have our breakfast and then we start doing a bit of of homework now that can take all sorts of guys um some of them are can be stuck on different things so we work on that uh trying to get others then to actually do the work because a lot of their work is is on laptops and that um so it's trying to make sure that they're doing that and not anything else um and then because p is is one of my subjects uh particularly up to uh just before we got locked down i i would kind of make sure that we do about an hour and a half, two hours every single day. And that got us doing some of the lovely walks. Uh, we went down to Kerry for a few days, spent quite a bit of time down in, in Banna in Kerry and in Tralee and down in Phoenix, which is where I do an awful lot of my sea swimming with uh, Tralee uh, Bay swimmers and that. Um, so we got we got a good few days down there and then we came up uh, to Killaloo and we've been doing all the local walks uh, around here, Mylossa and Town Tina, Graves of the Lindstrom. And we've had great fun and great crack doing things. Yeah. So, Rosie, you have represented Ireland at, at rugby, but really, I want to talk about some of the stuff around <laughs> your swimming. How does a young girl from Limerick end up in Killaloo representing mm. uh, the country at the highest level of sport and then decide to go and swim the channel? 
the Straits of Gibraltar and Loch Derg? I think if, if I if I went back just a tiny bit, uh, my parents actually met on a boat called St. Brendan here in Killaloo. And my mother was originally from Maru and my father is from Limerick City. And they built beside my grandparents in uh, in, in Clonkeen and Lisnagrai um, in, in County Limerick. And things took off for my father uh, in about 1976. And he was playing, uh, first of all, he played with St. Mary's in Limerick. And then he played with Shannon, which was a senior rugby team. And then from that, he played with Munster. And he got picked in 76 to go on tour to Australia and New Zealand with, with Ireland. And his own jobs then started to, uh, took off very well. So he, he used to uh, drive uh, some trucks and then he was delivering for Dewan's CNC. And then because of his profile in rugby had, had increased in Limerick, they gave him a sales rep job. So obviously the money got a little bit better. And my mom used to work inside in, in UL from time to time, inside in the shop and things like that. So we had a little bit of access to UL. And then I think they saw an opening then in in the pub industry and they were looking around and they found uh, Matt Hayes's pub in Main Street, Killaloo, up for sale and they moved out out to Killaloo when I was about seven. So I had made my first communion in uh, in Maru in County Limerick, but we moved out here. And to answer your question, how did the swimming come into into our lives? We're, we're right on the River Shannon at the bottom of Loch Derg here and my parents set us a, a task uh, a competition, whatever way you want to look at it, to learn to swim because they had this thing that we're right beside the water. You have to be able to swim. Uh, and we had Jimmy Whelan's, which was a supermarket across the road from us. And you went over there, you picked out what you were going to get once you learned how to swim. And mine was <laughs> my my rag doll with yellow hair and a blue dress. And we spent the summer trying to learn how to swim, mainly in the outdoor pool in, in uh, on the Ballina side and the Tipperary side. And then we got a bit more competent. We went down to the pierhead in in uh, in Killaloo, uh, where Peter Lacey was also teaching people, uh, if you like, how to swim. So kind of from there, it was it, it was kind of always on our radar. We always did something to do with water. Um, but how did the, the channel swimming and that came into my life was watching a black and white movie upstairs in our pub when I was about 11 or 12 and it was on Gertrude Elderly who turned out to be the first woman ever to swim across the English Channel so it was there since I was about 12 I'd say in the back of my brain burning a hole in it. (laughs) So Rosie is it fair to say that you were always uh, very goal orientated growing up? Do you know looking back on it probably I think there was kind of that and a bit of competition because uh, myself and Anthony there was just a little over a year between us. I was born the 27th of October in 1972 and he was born the 30th of October, 1973. So even though I would have said we were um, Irish twins, my father would always say you you actually weren't, you know, there was three days in between. So actually, technically, you weren't Irish twins at all. But there was that kind of uh, competition, I feel, kind of growing up. And I never knew any kind of... um, we'll say sporting boundaries until I was about 12, which was quite interesting. And then you, I saw the difference between being a boy and a girl and the opportunities really when I'm looking back on it uh, th- that were afforded to, to, to Anthony just because he was a boy and that I didn't get. But now hopefully that has changed for the better for my lovely 10-year-old daughter. Because you you did go and um, set up the first ever female rugby team in UL, which I believe is still going strong. 
Oh, growing very strong. It's it's fantastic to see. I was actually due to go to uh, go back in there uh, just before all this kicked off. They have gotten to two finals again um, this year, which is fantastic. So the tradition inside there is brilliant. But like rugby in Limerick and sport in Limerick is huge anyway. So it's no surprise that women's rugby is is huge as well, particularly in the university. Talk to me about growing up in a sport mad house obviously your dad was a well-known sportsman and then of course Anthony's career going from strength to strength and then you blazing a trail yourself uh, in sport locally and internationally but I suppose we never I, we never looked at it like that like this was normal this is normal everyday life in, in, in our house like we watched dad uh, play rugby I remember on one occasion before we moved from Maru Tony Ward came into the sitting room and I remember Anthony actually going under the, the sitting room table he got such a fright because we had just seen them on TV so there was like RT1 and RT2 maybe at that stage and next thing the people you're watching on TV walk into your sitting room so it was you know it's, it's a bit strange Strange, but like you just it was normal it was normal we played sport we played whatever was on the tv so if it was summertime it was it was hurling gaelic football and it was tennis uh we'd go down to uh, the Mulcair river which was a couple of miles down the road and it, w- it was just a very shallow uh kind of um place with kind of rapids that you could just wade into kind of ankle ankle deep and that's where you'd keep cool or we used to have a little um those blow up little swimming pools in the front of the the yard it just depended on on what was going on and like we just went and watched dad play and we played ourselves and it was just it was was that kind of of growing up particularly you know seven eight nine uh, you know when we came to Killaloo then the GA really came to the fore as well you know there was always rugby here in Killaloo but GA would have been quite quite big and obviously then the water sports was was a huge thing for my parents for us to be able to be competent in the water yeah how did you end up pulling on the green jersey for <laughs> Ireland <laughs> that that took that took a little while when i first went in to see uh, any women playing in a match it was a mixed match it was the two banks in in limerick playing in anacotti and my father was refereeing it and i would say that was kind of mid to late 70s and i always remember you know God, there's there's some sort of chance here for girls to be able to play rugby. It was a bit of kind of a a touch mixed match. And I remember thinking, like, why can't I do that? And looking back, like I played camogie and I played Gaelic football, did all that, but nothing ever fulfilled me until I actually started playing rugby. And it's it's the contact. It's it's the freedom. It's it's everything that that I ever wanted to do. And I actually still really, really love the game but I we love all sorts of, sp- of sport in our house but nothing ever compared to to rugby for me ever I let you in on a little secret that lots of people that are listening in won't know but I actually played rugby myself played for Galwegians many many moons ago after a couple of seasons of playing tag rugby yeah I played 10 and 14 uh, so I had the speed and I could catch the ball but I hated tackling I'm such a scaredy <laughs> cat uh, but I, I actually loved it but when I started taking up running my coach at the time, the rugby coach, said, listen, you're not going to be any good to us because you're going running a marathon in New York. Your, your, your slow twitch fibres are going to be kicking in. So um, there's a little bit for you. I have worn the Connacht rugby jersey, a girl from Munster. So did we play against Connacht. each other, Joanne? Did um, we play no, against each other? I don't think so. Um, so yeah, this is, some of the girls are still involved. Yeah, lots of the listeners won't know that I took my hand at playing rugby and I could run and catch a ball, which is good, but tackling, not so much. I was so afraid. 
and I, I mean, we lo- we loved it because I suppose like we played it in the front lawn and we played it inside in the house. And my own kids are, as you can imagine, being locked down are are, are fairly wrecking the sitting room at the best of times. You know, it's it. But you know, to me, the freedom of being able to play or do whatever sport or activity that you want to, regardless of whether you're male or female, is really I think what I've always strived for. That you have the opportunity. That the opportunity is afforded to you in the same way as it is to our male counterparts, do you know? Yeah, and, and 20 by 20, a huge campaign in Ireland mm. as well, can't see, can't be. I mean, it's so important that young men and young women see mm. the mix of genders succeeding in sport, regardless of what that sport is. Uh, to- totally. And I mean, it, it, it is across the board. And I always feel we can do better, whether it is the, the, the whole GAA or it's the IRFU or whoever we're, we're talking about and talking to. But like if you look at the, the sports that are ingrained in our community, it, it, it's GAA. And I mean, it's all getting better. It's all improving. But for me, I always wanted it to be moving faster, always faster, you know, always getting that equality right, you know, regardless. But I do understand about the, the, the money and the advertising that's involved in all of this. But I really do. If we, if we get commitment from government and it moves from the top down, you see real change there. That's where you see the real change. And I also think as well that, um, you know, Lizzie Lee mentioned it in, in her episode of the podcast mm. is, and, and you you'd said it yourself, you know, it was no different for you growing up when your dad was mm. playing rugby and you were playing rugby and Anthony was, was playing rugby and that you were in a sports household, that when you grow up in that environment of where it's normal for mum to go for a 5k swim or a 5k run or whatever <laughs> it is, that it's not seen as abnormal and it becomes part of daily routine, that that's very important as well, that even from a government level and, and down mm. the ranks, but each of us has a responsibility as an individual as well to, to do it from the roots up, regardless of what your oh, sport is. Absolutely. Like uh, I teach here in St. Anne's in Killaloo. I'm very lucky to be to be in a school that's a secondary school on my doorstep. And I would often say to the first years when they come in, because, you know, you're, you're a teacher and they're after coming out of primary school. So, you know, they kind of look at teacher a little bit different. And definitely in the early days when my guys were maybe five years younger, I used to say to them, look, I'll try to salute you. You'll see me going around and then thing I could be cycling I could be swimming I could be running I'll try to say hello to you you'll see me in the changing room over in the leisure center uh, and please say hello you know and it's kind of it's making it normal like we're, we're all just human you know so we have to look after each other we're not perfect and I would never say that that I'm perfect in anything that I've ever ever done but you strive to be the best you can be and to just as you said to, to be a role model and you can be a role model for your own kids for your neighbors next door or you can take it a little bit further. It just depends on on the role that that you're in yourself. Getting to the top of your game with rugby and then deciding to take on a massive challenge, three massive challenges really, uh, Mm. in in swimming. How do you transition from rugby player to endurance swimmer? Swimming was always there for me. It was always a form of recovery for me. It was always something that was there in the background. Now, I never swam competitively, as as um, I, I think you know, Joanne. We learned to swim here in, in, in Killaloo uh, between the pierhead and um, the outdoor pool. Uh, and water safety was our big thing. So water safety, going through your safeties and, and your intermediates and your, you know, now your rescues, all those kind of things were really important. And that's where I first uh, became um, a water safety instructor was uh, here in, in, in Killaloo. So it was always there. And then when um, I started working um, and I was working for nearly five years, it was in St. Emmons Pool uh, in South Hill in Limerick. And I was a full time lifeguard there. So I was working five days a week there. Now, 
I didn't swim quite as much when I was working in the pool because it's like everything. It's like a busman's holiday. You just you, you're tired of the smell of chlorine, you know, for eight hours a day. Um, so it was kind of when I went back to college, really, that the, the, the grow for 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 swimming really came back because we had a few modules in swimming and lifesaving and that with Joanne Moles and Carmel Vikens inside lecturing us. Um, so it was it was that that kind of kept me uh got me back into it, if you like. And like we always swam then uh, in the summertime here in Killaloo. Um, so, you know, you know, that was there. But when the rugby came calling and we were playing inside Newell and we were called up for Munster trials and then we played, you know, we played interprovincials and then you were called into, you know, maybe kind of uh, Irish squad trials, if you like it kind of it took on a, a different meaning for me it was really it was recovery but that endurance really do does stand to you and I suppose like you learned about setting more goals for yourself and lots of them were physical but I remember like things like the, the mental imagery all that kind of stuff really sticks with you and I suppose it's from from there on I, I really knew that I was setting myself goals but then kids come along and you're working and you have a husband and it's, it's very different. But to kind of get yourself back on track, you'd have different goals. So my son Oshin was born in 2005 and I had a goal of being back playing uh, for Ireland in rugby for the Women's World Cup in Canada in 2006. So there was always something, do you know. So my husband and my son came with us uh, to Canada when I was playing in the, in, in, the, in the World Cup, you know. I played then for about 2007. I played with, with Shannon, no, 2006. And then 2007, um, my son Brendan was born. So kind of at that stage then, it was kind of, it was very busy household. It was hard to get back on track and, and kind of get back training in that. And I remember myself and my husband, um, I said to him, what do you want for your birthday? And he said, we could do it a new TV or something like that. And I said, now, if we get a new TV, you know, what's going to happen here now is we're going to balloon. There'll be no exercise done. We're, we're going to be sitting on those couch potatoes now and the whole lot. Uh, so we decided to get two bikes instead. And really, that was the start of a little bit of endurance training, um, uh, cross training with running and uh, obviously the swimming as well. And, and then you kind of start to enter an entirely different world of sprint triathlons, Olympic triathlons, relays, which really worked for us when you have three young kids. Our, our, our last little lady was born in 2010. And it was like the, the one thing that kept us going was the very first relay we ever did in, in triathlon was uh, Hell of the West with Limerick Triathlon Club. Great race. And it was a relay. And the reason it's a relay for us is uh, with the three kids there outside the pen. Mammy goes in and swims. Mammy comes out, gives daddy the timer and, uh, and off daddy goes and mammy takes over minding the three kids. And that is how it worked for us. And that's how things started to move. And once you're doing your 1500 meter swims and your 2000 swims, I was kind of going, you know, uh, maybe doing a bit of master swimming would be good. So I joined uh, Limerick inside and kind of really that was my first real taste of kind of competitive in the pool swimming. And I remember my first long course swim ever I, I went with the 50 meter and I remember absolutely being peppering myself standing up on top of that bloody block getting ready to dive in for a 50 meter sprint like you know so everybody's goals are very very different and, and uh, kind of I met then two fabulous people inside well uh, lots of fabulous people inside UL but uh, two who I call um, uh, very very good friends of mine and Andrea Newport she's the chairperson inside there at the moment and uh, a lady by the name of Fanula Walsh both were uh, into a bit more distance now Fanula would have been 
uh, into longer distance. And by the time I met her, she had she had done some distance swimming herself and uh, kind of their influence on me inside with our with our coach who's now left us, uh, John Dempsey. It just it really ignited a spark that had been dormant for a very, very long time. And I could see that this was another avenue or something that I could enjoy and enjoy with friends and kind of chase down. So, yeah, that's how that started. You've mentioned when you were 11 Mm. that you wanted to do the channel someday. How did you make it a reality? So the channel, um, I know that uh, it was it was something that was there. And then it kind of talking to to, to Fanula Walsh and and to Andrea Fanula uh, did a channel relay. I'm trying to think maybe in 2012, I think. She may have done one. And I had swam Beganish Island down at Valencia Island with herself and Andrea, which was one of my first longer swims with the, the infamous uh, Ned Dennison, which you, you know an awful lot about anyway, because he's a huge influence in, in open water swimming in Ireland. I think it was it, it, it was opening that world of open water swimming. And like Ned is the kind of person, anyone I've ever heard talking to Joanne about open water swimming, his name always comes up. He's mm. one of those people who just, he, he he's very happy to give you all the information you want. And if you're racing him, God help you because he'll swim out over you. That's the kind of person he is. He'll help you in any way he can. But once that buzzer goes or that klaxon goes, he's, he's gone like the clappers. And I love his attitude. I love that that's the way he is. And I suppose it was his, you know, kind of, yeah, if you can do down the, around Beganish or down the side of Valencia Island, that's about 7K. Sure, listen, you can do anything, you know. Sure, why wouldn't you do Cork to Cove or any of, any of them, any of them at all? Then Fanula was doing um, Channel Relay. And I remember thinking, oh, God, yeah, that's that's good. And that's interesting. And that's something actually that, you know, I remember that, you know, that I'd like to do myself. And then Fanula uh, went first time she did it. She was fogged out. She was one of the foggy three in about 2013, I think it was. She went back later in uh, early October the same year and did it finished it. She finished the job she set out to do. And it just gave me, I just had great uh, confidence in having somebody who was such a, a close confidant of mine, a good friend of mine who wanted me to succeed in doing something like that. And I think that the training just kicked in and uh, you've disciplined from sport anyway, as you know, Joanne, you, you know, if you're going to be training and you're doing something, you have a plan in front of you, you you uh, kick it off. Now, I wouldn't be doing huge mileage that lots of people uh, tend to do, but my, all my training would have been between um, UL, what's the our little pool over is about 18 metres in the leisure centre and out into Malgate, which is where I swim all year round anyway for the for the past seven years or so or, or thereabouts so th- that was my training regime and my six hour swim then was done in Kappa Pier in Kilrush over six hours and I think I, I think it was April May by the time I did that and it was it was quite it was quite cool it was well under the 16 I'd say it was probably 13 or 14 they're all the things that kind of you know if they don't kill you they make you stronger you know and I heard I heard you talking to Dee Newell and um, Fergal Madden as well as Jer Kennedy and you know it's all those things it's all it's all the toughening up and the hardening up and everybody's endurance timetable or swimming is all slight slightly different and you know what you need to do yourself from talking to other people and don't be afraid to to listen to different opinions um I heard Dee and and Fergal Madden on and they were kind of saying oh you know 
know, you shouldn't have any family members on the boat when you're doing the English Channel. I wouldn't have had anybody else but my husband on the boat and 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 Fanula Walsh. So, you know, I think everybody is slightly different and, you know, take on board different opinions and, and different ways of eating and different ways of training as well, you know. So, you know, don't ever find yourself pigeonholed in anything that you do. So I, I suppose I was kind of like that. Um, we, we always had to, y- you live for today and I suppose my parents, when we were growing up, it was always the same. You never assume that you're going to be playing the next day. And it always stuck with us. We never, I suppose, assumed that we'd be doing the same thing tomorrow. So it's not a dress rehearsal. So I suppose it's kind of give everything a, a go, you know, but prepare well, really. Very clearly, you gave it your absolute best shot as well, because not only did you swim the channel, but then did you swim Loch Derg 38 kilometres so as well? Can I, can I tell you the, the small bit of story that goes with this? So um, I decided, um, because Anthony was so involved with Munster at the time, I know the way that people can put pressure either on, on your brother as a coach or whatever, and that his sister is doing, you know, X, Y or Z. So uh, the only people that knew that I was going to swim the English Channel were my husband, Pat, Fanula Walsh, one of my best friends, and Andrea Newport, another one of my best friends. And you'd recognize them because they're Limerick uh, masters. We told nobody else until the week before. How did you hide your training? No, it wasn't a major problem. Um, I'd go in and I'd train before our session. Uh, I used to swim on a Monday night, so I'd go in maybe an hour before our master session and swim there. I'd swim maybe uh, in the 50 meter pool in UL another day during the week. And then the rest of my training was uh, in the 18 meter pool in the leisure center, uh, the Lakeside Leisure Center in Killaloo and outside in uh, in Two Mile Gate on Loch Derg. That was it. We have three young kids. I was teaching and obviously my poor husband has to endure a lot. It had to just fit in with with my family life. It just couldn't happen any other way. But I also knew that my mother, who I never told <laughs> that I was doing it, never told her, never told her because she would have said, you're a 40 something year old woman with three kids. You're absolutely you shouldn't be doing that. You should be mad. Like every right? typical Irish mammy. Right, a typical Irish mammy. So I told um, I told uh, Anthony in his sitting room above, and sure, he said, sure, you're, you're slightly bonkers. And uh, I told my sister-in-law, Olive, uh, I told my sister, Orla, I told my father, because I asked him, did he want to come on the boat with us? Because he, he loves boats here um, in, in Killaloo and that. And uh, we never told my kids and we never told my mother. That's gas. <laughs> Yes. Did it did it take some of the pressure off? Um, it did because so Loch Derg, obviously been my playground since I was seven, had never been swum from Portumna to to Killaloo. A friend of mine that grew up out in uh, Two Mile Gate, uh, James Lynch, I had met I think at the Christmas. Uh, of 2014 I think 2013 and said to him do you know how do you feel about swimming down Loch Derg and he said oh geez I'll train away and I'll do it and he did it in his his wetsuit and I thought to myself if I can swim uh, 38 kilometers from Portumna to Killaloo I can absolutely do anything it's my own backyard I can do it now it's fresh water so it's 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 difficult enough to do it and when you know some of the places on your way down and you know there's 10k to go and there's 6k to go and you're feeling tired and you know you're 11 hours in and all that kind of thing it's just something that I knew that if I did it I'd definitely do the English Channel I'd have it done and I did the English Channel about a month later 
Uh, but I always remember my father came down on a cruiser with us and friends of ours, Melvin McNamara, Larry Ryan, all, all came down on the boats with us, Andrea and and um, and Fanula as well. My, 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 my mother was kind of so cross, like she didn't even wait to, to see me finish. She went over to the Lakeside Hotel with Olive and the kids to, to feed them because, you know, their silly mammy was doing something else, you know, that kind of a way. So, you know, Joanne, like then you're you're going a few weeks later to swim the English Channel. Would you like to talk to her? <laughs> Would you? <laughs> she mightn't have let you travel. I see. <laughs> Only for Anthony and all of my sister Orla at that time, you know, they were quite happy to mind the kids. My, my father as well. We, we got away with it. I, I went over uh, a few days before we were due to, to swim at all, just so that I could be in my own head, really. And, and I suppose that the thing that kind of comes through with everybody that I talk to that takes on these epic endurance challenges is that it was normalised for them in a way that the people that surrounded them believed that they could do it and that you put your trust into the people that were around you that were believing that you could do it. You know, that kind of way, like whether it was a people who had done a triathlon or were stepping up to Ironman or mm. somebody who maybe had done like a Killary Fjord swim and then decides they want to go do a bit longer or the likes of Jerry Kennedy that brought that group to uh, Antarctica, Antarctica recently. I mean, you know, these are I things... was hoping to win the lotto oh, to go with him. Oh, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can go and make the flask of tea. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I offered I, all sorts. Yeah, um, you know, I suppose it, it kind of, when you listen to you talking about it, it just seems so normal that you would go and swim the length of Loch Derg from Portumna to Killaloo. It was one of those things that uh, I think, it, and it comes, yeah, I definitely, sp- you, you, you put compartments in your brain and I think you just go through different stages and n- no different to when you're on a pitch in team sport and that, that you have a job to do or you have things to do or you have to put it away because it didn't go very well. The last scrum didn't go very well, last line out, whatever. It didn't go well. And you, you learn, I think, and you do that in life anyway. Like So anyone is capable of, of doing great things once you really just have to work on that that mental approach, the mind. You really have to to, to galvanise it down because, like, we've had shit times, obviously, with, with Anthony passing away and that. And, like, sport really, it comes up to the mark, but it also, uh, sport has helped us to to cope with, with, uh, with grief like that as well. So... It's all those kind of things. It's everything in life, you know, from exams when you're in school to making making you stronger to whatever your job is to, to kind of galvanizing how good you can possibly be. And I suppose it, it, it's trying to take the, the good with the bad as, as well. And you, you're constantly trying to look after your mind and, and really kind of approach it. Should, should this is another uh, 10 strokes down here. Should we do another 10 and we'll do another, ten? you know, it's that kind of thing or, you know, that looks lovely over there. Or what was the shopping list? Or when I was doing the English Channel, um, one of our students had passed away. So Benjamin Kickers had died. He was just 16 from uh, leukemia. And then a colleague of mine had passed away suddenly about six weeks weeks before and I remember thinking of them as, as we were coming into the, the inshore area in, in France when, when the stars were out and you could see the phosphorescence underneath. Halfway through the channel my husband came in to swim as they can for an hour and I remember thinking oh look do you know here's Pat in with me. The kids are in Killaloo, 
Jesus, what if something happens to us? <laughs> in the middle of the English Channel, Mammy and Daddy, and the poor old kids are in Killaloo. So there's all sorts of things. And I think you you can really, you know, galvanize your mind. All, I, I've heard different people say, you know, you know, bad thoughts come in, in and out. But that happens in life anyway. And you do learn to galvanize yourself. You do learn to have to, to kind of look beyond it. Even as we're here today and you're kind of going, you know, we're, we're locked down if you like but you're not like you're in a privileged position if you're okay you know it, you're not you're healthy you're fine you're doing something that's going to help somebody else you know so suck it up a little bit you know you mentioned Anthony quite a bit such a shock for yourselves and obviously for the rest of the world when when we realized that he had passed away so suddenly do you take strength from the pain of of that grief when you're doing things like your big swims, like the Straits of Gibraltar, very difficult for, for you and, and for Olive and for your mum and dad and everybody mm. that was so close to him. Yeah, you know, the the, the show of solidarity from everybody, uh, re- regardless of whether you were into sport or not, after Anthony passed, uh, gives you just, it d- does give you great strength. It, it gives you great faith in humanity as what's going on in Ireland now does. When I was doing the Straits of Gibraltar, it was something that I really wanted to do. I had never fundraised prior to this for, for anything. And this was the first time that I said, after the swim was done, um, I contacted the Cry Centre, which is the cardiac risk in the young in Tala. And Dr. Deirdre Ward would be our cardiologist up there. So after Anthony passed, and this is, I suppose, I found out I'm very like my father this way. When Anthony passed, it's, it's how do we get Anthony home? And when... And when we got Anthony home with the help of Ryanair and Michael O'Leary and, and getting him getting him back to to uh, to Munster um, was very important. The next the next step was so how did he die and how can we prevent us or our kids? So it's the next step. It's the next progression. It's it's the next goal if you like to that. And the cardiac risk in the young, the Christ Centre in, in Tala were just so helpful, so instrumental, so compassionate and kind to not just myself and my sister, but more so to my parents. And I just felt I wanted to give something back. And I had it in the back of my mind as we were swimming across the Straits of Gibraltar that when I finished this, I just would like to do some fundraising for them. And uh, so finished Straits of Gibraltar and contacted them that evening. And we set up a, a, an I Donate page. About three and a half thousand currently is what we've raised. It's just to try and give a little bit back for help. And I suppose you're thinking of, Anthony, you're thinking of, you know, the privilege that you have to be in such a beautiful place, in a position, being healthy and being able to show that your kids and other other people that like life goes on, uh, you make the best of it because you don't know when it's going to stop. And, and sure, we all know what that's like, you know, when you lose somebody very suddenly, you know that, you know, you live your best life. It's not a dress rehearsal. So, you know, just get on with it and enjoy it. That's a lovely mantra to have, especially in the situation that we're in today with COVID-19. None of us know what the future mm. holds, really, no matter who we are. You know, you might have thought you had your life mapped out in front of you mm. this time last month but certainly everything is on hold at the moment and the most important thing is that we stay at home to mind ourselves and mind our families. It is and it's difficult Joanne and it's finding you know what I'm loving is that we're all using technology so much better now I mean uh, we had a, a turbo session for the first time with our triathlon club with Brew Triathlon Club here in Killaloo um, yesterday evening which was just amazing and it's a great way to connect up with people and then nobody feels isolated and nobody feels alone and you just you're trying to look out for people because like luckily enough we, we all get a bit 
oh God, dude, this is terrible every now and again. But you, do, you unfortunately just have to switch on the news to, to understand the gravity of the situation. And if we can do this as, as my grandparents probably did and my great grandparents did in times that were a lot tougher than this, you know, we'll be fine. It, it is about coming up with different ideas, trying to keep fit and just do doing your little bit all the time. You know, do what you're told. That's the best way to go. And, and let's get out of this the best way we can. I'd love to ask you, what does the future hold for Rosie Foley in terms <laughs> of sport? So ignoring all COVID-19 situations and pandemics <laughs> and everything, is there something in the pipeline that you're thinking about doing in the future or where, where, won't we, where might we see you? <laughs> <laughs> well, mostly on the side of a pitch, either a camogie pitch with, with my daughter, a hurling pitch or a rugby pitch or whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, no, you'll find me on the, the, the sideline of many pitches, um, mainly following the, the, the kids around. My my son and my nephew are inside in St. Munchens, which was where Anthony went to school. And, you know, Anthony loved St. Munchens. The boys love St. Munchens. So we spend a lot of time there. For me, I really do want to do the 20 bridges at some stage in um, in New York, in Manhattan. My husband was born over there. He's relations over there. But we'd like to do it as a, as a family holiday. And we just have to save up for it, unfortunately. So it's not obviously it's not going to be this year, but some some place down the track. Yeah, just a few more of of, of those kind of uh, swims and that hopefully keeping fit and well, you know, that's the hope, really, that you're trying to encourage your your kids to be the best they can be. And, and from the sidelines or even even the books at the moment, you know, it's that kind of thing. So uh, it'll be interesting. And of course, it's not just on the pitch or in the water that you have blazed a tree really Rosie because mm. you have commentated and co-commentated on some of the mm. biggest games of rugby both on radio with Michael Corcoran mm. you commentated with Royal Nugent and RTE and you've also been on Sky Sports that's an incredible achievement as well in itself that you're in that privileged position to be able to mm. do that as well because it is a privilege to be able to do what we do but, uh, very much so do you and I mean those things all happened out of the blue. Our our women's rugby team really started to take off there in 2013. And um, it, it was just unbelievable. And obviously the media then, you know, got wind of the word, oh God, you know, Ireland are after beating England, which was huge. So next thing we were, you know, on for a triple crown. Next thing you were on for, for a, a Six Nations Grand Slam championship, the whole shebang. And we weren't being covered. It wasn't being covered on, uh, on our national broadcaster. And it all just took legs and took off very, very quickly. Quickly. And, you know, I had been co-commentating with um, Michael Corcoran and he's just he's just a pleasure to be around. And he teaches you so much, Joanne, you know, because you're, you're coming into something that you you were a player uh, and, and, and a coach from time to time. But now now you're actually looking at people. But at the end of the day, because of, I think, the way that that I was brought up and I heard people. And unfortunately, this is very true. I heard people saying, oh, no, you know, Brendan Foley there, he's useless there in the front of the line out, you know. Uh, and then I, I heard them, obviously, in, in unfortunately for Anthony, it, it, it was a bit more verbal. It was a bit more on the newspaper. It was it was on it was on TV. It, it, it's hard. It's hard to take. So when I was lucky enough to get the, the chance to co-commentate or to talk about players or management or that, I always looked at it as if they were my brother, my sister, you know, so, you know, if they didn't have a great game, so what? You know, it's not their day job. This is only a sport. Get on with it. It'll be better off. The stuff that you can improve on. But it's lovely to be able to mention people that over the years had been involved in women's sport and, 
way before I was ever involved, blazed their own trail and got us to the position that we were in. And it was just on to me to pass on the baton to the next person to commentate or to co-commentate. But it had already been done because we showed it could be done. So it was they were doing it on the pitch. We were doing it off the pitch. And, and on it goes now to the next generation. And it's just fantastic to have been a part of it and to be involved in it. And Rosie, if I could ask you of all that you have achieved in your sporting career, what has been your proudest moment? Oh, my Lord. Um, I do. I do. Uh, remember putting on you know the the jerseys really that my father and my brother wore so I I do vividly remember putting on the Shannon jersey for the first time uh which was number eight uh I remember putting on and uh and I still have the Munster Interpro jersey my Munster jersey um but you know it's it's hard to to, to be uh, put, pulling on your, your national jersey or Irish jersey, knowing that your dad had done it. And that the very same day as it happened, my brother was playing for Ireland against Italy um, when I made my debut against uh, Spain on the very same day. So that was very, very special. That was a very special occasion, yeah. Fond memories. Very fond memories. Yeah, because I can see it in my mind's eye when I'm when I'm talking to you about it, Joanne, because, you, you know, you kind of you take all those moments in and you hold on to them, you know, because people in your family have done it. And, you know, you're lucky enough to get an opportunity to do it yourself. So you, you really have to just go with it and enjoy it. But, you know, realize that you hang on to your jersey for as long as you can and you never leave anybody get an opportunity to get your jersey. Uh, and when the time comes then for somebody else to put it on, that you hope that they'll excel in it more than you did. You know, you really hope that that it's a, it's an upward trajectory all the time, you know, that keeps moving upwards. Well, Rosie Foley, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Delighted to finally get to chat to you. Uh, I followed your career quite a bit over the years. So delighted that we finally got to uh, maybe not meet in person, but certainly have uh, some crack and banter on the show. So thank you so much. Thanks a million, Joanne. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget you can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions or just give me a shout by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. That's try with an I, not a Y. And remember to tune into our live Facebook chats on the Try Talking Sport page on Tuesday and Thursday nights at 8.30pm. Until next time, wash your hands, stay safe and stay at home.